chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, as we look tonight at the doctrine of glorification. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up at verse 18 and read through verse 30. Paul in verses 12 and following speaks about um, that we are heirs with Christ, heirs um, as children of God, and that we will be glorified. Verse 17, if children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's bow together in prayer. Oh, Father, we now ask that the spirit that you speak of here would come and open our hearts and minds, that this word would be received with faith and joy, no matter what our circumstances might be tonight that we would be able to believe and that we would put our hope in this great truth of glorification and be willing to wait for it patiently. Um, be, Lord, thank you that uh, you speak to us in your word. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're looking at, as I said, the doctrine of glorification. It's um, sort of the capstone of the order of, of salutis, the order of salvation we've been talking about uh, over the last weeks. Uh, it's not the last sermon. We're going to be talking next week about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, where God preserves us and, and brings us into this reality. Perseverance is sort of the glue that holds all these things together. But tonight we want to look at this truth that God glorifies all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Um, he, will, he will raise us from the dead with a, uh, a glorified body to be reunited with a glorified soul, and we will be in a new heaven and earth, and we will be with our Lord Jesus forever. Uh, I want you to sense tonight that the doctrine of glorification is an, an audacious doctrine. 
It's an audacious doctrine because it, it stands uh, both as an answer to the deepest longing of the human heart, and it stands in defiance with the meaningless uh, nihilism of our day, where people are taught that they are, um, you know, sort of a Darwinian view of the world. We've come from nothing, we're going to nothing, and nothing then matters. Well, um, the doctrine of glorification stands in great uh, contrast, uh, and, it, and it answers to then the deepest need and longing of the human heart and the devastating nihilism of our age. All of God's works of uh, salvation answer to a hunger in the human soul. Uh, people hunger to be, um, to have honor and glory and, and to be free from guilt and shame. We, we feel shame if our conscience is still working. And justification answers uh, that need, that longing that God in Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be uh, declared innocent before the divine court, no condemnation because of Christ's righteousness. Adoption answers our need to belong, to be claimed, to be known and loved, and adoption, prom God promises that we are his beloved children. Well, glorification answers the longing that every person has to live in a world where things are right, where there is beauty and honor and truth and peace and significance, weight. And the reason people long for that, of course, is that the Bible says God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. To be human is to long for those things. Uh, we know without needing to be told that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Something's fundamentally wrong with this world and with this life and with us. There's a sense that we're made for something more, something more than what we can see. And, and the things that we do see carry echoes of Eden. So there's remembrances. When you, when you see a beautiful sunset or, or hear a soul-stirring musical strain, what is that longing in you? Why does it hurt? Well, because it's that echo of Eden, of what you were made for. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's true. We were made for something more. But I love the doctrine of glorification also in the way that it stands as a banner in this lost, despairing world. Uh, we live in a day and an age where people have believed their Darwinian lie that we've come from nothing uh, and that we're going to nothing. I just came across a quote this past week from David Foster Wallace, a brilliant American novelist, and he writes this in uh, The Pale King, uh, which was published after his death by suicide in 2008. He writes, everything is on fire, slow fire. And we are all less than a million breaths away from an oblivion more total than we can even bring ourselves to even try to imagine. That's a pretty accurate description of the despair that we find uh, in the world around us. We're just less than a million breaths away from oblivion. And, and David, Wallace Foster, uh, David Foster Wallace uh, was, was crushed by that despair and, and ended up at the age of 46 taking his own life. But you see, the doctrine of glorification says, well, it's not true. We're not 
necessarily headed towards oblivion, and the oblivion that we maybe aren't headed for if without Christ is, is not nothingness, it's the awfulness of being um, ignored by God, it's the awfulness of judgment. But the gospel says that, the, that God has opened a way in Jesus Christ to escape that, uh, that judgment, that oblivion, that God has opened a way to glory in Christ for lost sinners and for a lost world. It's a wonderful, defiant declaration in our day and age. As I said, glorification in some sense is the capstone. It's what everything has been moving toward. Uh, ancient Greek uh, philosophers uh, used to teach that uh, you didn't really understand a thing until you understood what it was for, what it was designed to do or accomplish, its telos, its end. And so uh, children will often ask if they see something, first they'll say, what is it? And you'll tell them what it is, and it doesn't make any, it doesn't resonate. Just say, what is it for? That tells me what it, what it is. What, what does it do? Well, um, what is election for? What's justification for? We know what it does. What's it for? What, what about sanctification? The process of God making us holy. Yes, I know, but what is it for? You see, all of the, uh, all of the things that we've been talking about are for this, to the end of glorification, that our salvation involves a past, present, and future reality, and we, ne- we need to hold all of them. We have, uh, have been saved from the, the penalty of sin, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we shall be saved from the presence of sin. Glorification speaks of that great event. When we're standing in the presence of God, glorified body and soul, to experience the fullness of our redemption in Christ. The, one of the things that, uh, well, that we're going to look at tonight, if you're keeping notes, there are three, the three points we're going to make uh, deal with, uh, the fact that glorification is not just about us. So we're going to look first at the glorification of creation, and then the glorification of God's people, and then thirdly, the glorification of Jesus himself. So these are, those will be our three points, and those are all taken from Romans uh, chapter 8. Glorification, you see, is a big idea. It's not simply limited to, to you and your salvation and your future experience. It refers to, in a sense, all that God is going to, uh, to do on the final day. So Paul uh, talks about our glorification, verse 18, um, we will be glorified with Jesus but then immediately he goes to talking about uh, the, glor- the glorification of creation. This present suffering can't be compare- compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us, but it's not just going to be revealed to us. He wants us to know that, we, that as we groan in this life, we have, um, we have fellowship in our groaning. Notice he says that creation itself is longing with eager longing eager expectation as it creation is groaning as it's been placed under the judgment of God we can't even imagine what this world was like in the garden of eden we can't imagine a world where there's no death there's no decay there's no pain there's no sin it's just beyond our ability to comprehend, and yet that's exactly the way the world once was. As Adam and Eve were first walking together and with the Lord in the per- perfect harmony and peace and, and, and beauty of the Garden of Eden, and then sin came into the world as they fell uh, to the devil's lies, and, and a, a covering, a, a 
darkness descended on all of creation. Isaiah speaks of that, Isaiah chapter 25, where where God says he's going to remove the veil that covered the people. C.S. Lewis speaks of this uh, this age as the shadow lands. There's, there's There's a darkness that's descended as sin has impacted every aspect of creation. It's not just our experience, it is the reality as creation itself feels it and we see it day after day when you drive by hospitals full of of sick and dying and cemeteries full of the bodies of those who've already passed along. Uh, Wars devastating nations, diseases ravaging bodies, relationships warped by sin and often ruined. When you just see the hopelessness, the despair, the emptiness that is so prevalent You're just seeing sin in all different manifestations. You see a creation under curse in droughts and floods and uh, fires and and storms as as creation seems to be at war with itself. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way that God created it in the garden. But the wonderful good news of the Bible is uh, one day it's going to change. It's not always going to be like this. Uh, That creation has great hope. There's a groaning in creation because it is convinced. It's it's amazing how Paul speaks of inanimate creation as groaning and longing and yearning for glorification. Yearning to be brought into the freedom of the sons of God when we are finally, uh, when we receive our full adoption as sons, when we receive our inheritance in Jesus in, a, in, uh, in perfect uh, glory and beauty with Christ, creation itself is going to be brought into that same glory. The Bible speaks of this in numerous places. Isaiah chapter 11, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, God says. Isaiah 65, God also speaks about a day when there's going to be no more crying. All mourning is going to be removed. A death is going to be swallowed up, Isaiah chapter 25. You see, God's intent, friends, and we must just keep this constantly in mind, when, you, when you're reading your newspaper and you're seeing tragedy and devastation and disease and, and then uh, uh, this horror and this blindness and this lie, um, just remember, this is not the totality of, of reality, that God is at work for a world where of infinite, perfect righteousness and peace, where every sin is completely removed and every remnant and effect of sin is forever gone. Creation is going to be glorified. And we should rejoice in that. That it, what Christ has accomplished, you see, isn't just uh, getting you saved, rescued from hell, and bringing you to heaven. Christ says, I'm going to make everything new. Praise, praise his name. But of course, there's also then the believer's glorification. Romans 8, 23 not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. A glorification is not what happens to you after you die. After you die, if you are in Christ, your spirit immediately ascends to be with Christ. 
And, and uh, Paul is right to say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'd rather go home and be with the Lord. But that's not glorification. Glorification is, uh, is the, the final goal that God has, which is to reunite your body glorified with your perfected soul. Raymond in his uh, Systematic Theology says, salvation encompasses the whole person, body and soul. God will not be satisfied with his saving work on our behalf until we stand before him redeemed in spirit and in body. I love it that Jesus claims you body and soul. What is your only comfort in life and death? I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Your body matters to God. He created it. He knit it together in your mother's womb. And he doesn't forget about it. He doesn't set it aside. Uh, Your body, Jesus claims in his victory as his. It belongs to him. I love how the Westminster Shorter Catechism says in question and answer 37 uh, that the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Isn't it wonderful to know when you lay a loved one down in that, in that grave, that that body is still Christ's, he's, he still claims it and owns it. And that body is still united to Jesus Christ. That person has not been cut off from Christ in any way. But that body is still the Lord's, and it rests in the grave until the day of resurrection. And on that day, well, it's hard to imagine what that day is going to be like. What does a, a glorified body look like? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 3.21 that it's going to, it looks like Jesus. Uh, Philippians 3.21, God will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we maybe have the definitive New Testament commentary on, on what that is like. For 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bible, just turn on. Maybe you, you know the words, but it's great to see it for yourself and just be refreshed again. Chapter 15, verse 51. Chapter 15, verse 51. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That's good news. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. One day, friends, that's going to happen. If you you, uh, belong to Jesus Christ, one day that's going to happen to your very body. Uh, That your body does not face oblivion, nor does your soul, but that um, one day... And one day very soon, we're, gonna, we're going to rise from the dead and, and the full reality of Christ's victory on our behalf is going to be manifested as our perfected souls and glorified bodies now stand in the presence of God to live with him forever. 
John Murray says, uh, this is the highest end conceivable for created beings. The highest end conceivable not only by men, but also by God himself. God himself could not contemplate or determine a higher destiny for his creatures than to be heirs with Christ, heirs of God, and in glorified body and soul to dwell with God and fellowship with God forever. There's no higher end. There's no further goal. And that's what Christ has accomplished for us. But the doctrine of glorification also refers uh, to Jesus Christ. If you ask, what is the end of justification and the end of sanctification? The answer would be the end is glorification for us. But what's the end of glorification? Well, the scripture says that the end of glorification is primarily about Christ. Uh, We get the benefit, but the, the purpose is that Jesus might be exalted. We, we find that in Romans 8, where Paul talks about, verse 29, that um, God has purposed to, to uh, he's predestined sinners to be conformed to the image of his son, not just partially in this life, but in perfection in the life to come, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, The point here is that the glory of our glorification is the way that it magnifies and glorifies the victory of Jesus. Can you imagine on that last day when from every tongue and tribe and nation a multitude, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, I mean, a number that we, we can't, we don't know the number, right? But, it's, but he, God told Abraham, more than the sand in the seashore, more than the stars in the heaven, this multitude of sinners, every single one of them justly deserving hell, people who were originally created out of dirt. Have you ever just studied dirt and thought, I'm made out of this stuff? I was digging around the garden just the other day, and, and I thought, Wow. We've got a lot in common. We're made from, I'm made from dirt. And yet that very body, your very body, will be glorified like Jesus' body, exactly like Jesus. It'll be, it'll be your body, but there won't be a shade of difference between the glorified, between Christ's glorified body and your glorified body. And that will be true for a multitude, a vast, vast number of sinners all standing there, all singing to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, and that's the end of glorification. It's the glory of Jesus. That's what it's about. And that's the joy of heaven. That you've been made part of this magnificent testimony magnifying Christ. This thunderous roar of of worship and praise that goes to Jesus. And in that event, Jesus himself, you see, receives the end, the ultimate end of his death death on our behalf, his, his resurrection, his accomplishment. He died to make that happen. And God is magnified as a saving God and Jesus is magnified as a victorious Lord. As the evidence, the fruit of his work is there uh, revealed before all the hosts of heaven. 
You see, that's where then um, we enter into and we live in that glory of being with our Lord and, and being a testimony to His greatness and His goodness, His love, His power and grace for eternity. And we get to share in the glory that Jesus knows, the glory that Jesus knows. He says, Father, before He went to the cross, <laughs> He speaks about the glory that He had with the Father before the world began and the glory that he's going back to and the glory he's going back to is to be in the presence of God and that's the glory that we will know. That's the glory of heaven. Revelation 21 verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's, that's the glory of heaven. To have God claim you and God come and live with you and you be with God. It means that, you see, God in all of his beauty and the perfection of all of his attributes, his goodness and truth and, and love and power and holiness, in all the, re, the overwhelming refulgent splendor of God, that, that God himself will be eternally and immediately present with you and to you and for you forever in a way that the angels don't know. And we will live there then in that glory and we'll drink forever from that river of delight and continue to unfold throughout all of history how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. To be with God and to know God and to commune with God, that will be the glory. I <clears throat> remember a story that R.C. Sproul tells about a recurring dream that he had. Um, R.C. Sproul's dad was very sick when R.C. was a young man, still at home, and he remembers uh, often having to nearly carry his father to the table because he was so sick. And, and R.C. idolized his father. He says, I thought he was the greatest man in the, in the whole world. And then his father, his father died. And for years after that, R.C. said he would have these recurring dreams of, of seeing his father. And every time he saw his father, the dream would initially start with delight because he saw his father and then um, turn to despair as, as he realized in his dream, he just sort of relived the experience of his dad being sick and his dad dying. And then uh, for about a 20-year period of time, he, didn't, he just didn't have those dreams anymore. And, uh, but he said, then one night... He did, but it was, it, was, it was very different. And R.C. doesn't put any, uh, you know, this is not divine revelation. This is not a message uh, from the beyond. It's just his dream. But he said, he said uh, one night um, he had a dream, and it had been many years since he, he, had, he had seen his father in, his, in, in a dream. And, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same father. It, it was a newly, vibrantly alive father full of strength and zeal and energy, and, and he realized that this was a dream about his father in heaven. And, uh, and the joy of that, of seeing his father so gloriously alive, and, and, and R.C. says, he said, in his dream, he said to his father, Dad, uh, take me to where I can see the glory. Show me where the glory is. And his father said, Son, it's all glory. It's all glory. They're in the presence of God. You see, friends, here we cannot escape the pain, no matter how, how much we try. We can't escape the pain. And there, we will not be able to escape the joy. 
Here we, uh, we are daily faced with death. There we daily live face to face with life and, and experience the fullness of that life. Here we pray. There we will praise because we will, we will see the Lamb in all of his glory. And the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's lamb, land. And the thing that is for us then is to take that to ourselves and take that to our life. We can so easily get caught up in the headlines and we can so easily get caught up in the circumstances of our day-to-day life. But Paul says, in this hope we were saved. We were not saved to have your best life now. That's no hope. But in this hope we were saved that one day this is done away with. One day we will be with the Lord. And Paul applied that to his own life. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead, straining for what is ahead, I press on to lay hold uh, of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so that's our call, to press on, to strive um, for what, is a, what lies ahead because God promised that it's there and to lay hold of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let that then calm your fears and soothe your sorrows. Uh, Let that be the hope that you live by. Let that be the hope you die in. Because one day, hope is going to be replaced with reality and sight. May God grant it soon. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, it's hard for us to imagine what it will be like to, to be glorified. Right now, we feel our weakness and our fear and our shame and and yet Lord you promise that one day that's all gone and no more tears no more crying oftentimes Lord we feel far from you though you promise that you are always near but one day Lord we will experience your presence and all the beauty that belongs to God we will see we'll be robed in righteousness and all of our thoughts and actions and attitudes will be pure and right and good and there will be honor given to us and glory bestowed upon us and all of it because of Jesus Lord I pray that the reality of what is yet to come would more and more impact the way we live today That this would, Lord, make us hunger for holiness and fight against sin. And this would make us patient in the trials. This would give us comfort in the the grief. This would give us, Lord, just the, the desire to endure and to press on because you've promised this for us. And so we believe it. May we live according to it so that our life here would glorify our Lord as our life there certainly shall. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.